Welcome to the Begin With The Ends podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Jeff. We speak to guests to see how they've pursued their career goals. We go back in time to revisit the beginning of their path and where they wish to end. Thank you for giving us a listen. And we hope you enjoy. For our latest episode, we speak to Jerome, a friend of mine for nearly a decade now. He's recently become a qualified counsellor and works within a wide variety of issues, including anxiety, stress and self-esteem. Jerome has studied for the past six years, qualifying in 2019, whilst holding down a full-time job. He speaks candidly about his upbringing and family life and how these experiences have shaped the course that he's currently on now. The purpose of the podcast, the main, the main purpose of this is to speak to people from the ends who have created something out of nothing and jay you've are now a registered counselor as of I am last year, mid last year yes so in may i uh registered my practice with um hmrc first of may was the date um although i didn't start taking patients in a few or clients i should say till a few months later and for so me, you've done this like literally in, in the, the middle of lockdown last year? Yeah, basically. So um, I qualified um, just at the start of the year and got my certification. As luck would have it, I just got it just before we went into lockdown, which was just wonderful. Jeez, and that's um, brilliant. yeah, that's that's basically what I did. So Johnson is my last name, and but my mother's surname and Davis is my um, father's surname so I decided to use those two um, names as part of my trading name and I always wanted to do that so I had a I had it in my head for a few years before I was able to do it what I'd like my practice to be called just because they're my parents and without them I wouldn't be here and um, they have a lot to do with the reason I wanted to become a practitioner and um, yeah, so it's sort of a hybrid of the two, which is, you know, me. And yeah, that's basically where the name came from. We're, we're going to start the podcast. We like to start it with a quick fire yeah. question. We call it, we begin, you end. You end. Yeah, it needs to be two different voices, I think. All right, we do. Well, let's do it again. We begin. You end. We begin. Yeah, that's better. That's better. Yeah. <laughs> the last one was the best one. Like, yeah. But yeah, Mike, have you got a list or yeah. I've actually got no. my own list? I'll go go on. Let's go back and forth. Okay. Favorite music genre? Um, probably pop slash rock. Uh favorite day of the year. Oh. Hey? Birthday. Birthdays, probably, I'd say, because it's my day. Yes. You know, I've actually got a list of uh this or that, so I'll go for it. So is it is it Chinese or Indian? What would you prefer takeaway? Chinese. Running or walking? Walking. I don't have that luxury, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. What to walk? You got when I got three kids, there's not there's not much walking going on. That's why you... of, well, there's a lot of moving about, but it's not necessarily walking. No, it's a lot of running around the house more more than walking outside. I understand that. Um, next one, cookies or cream? Oh, easy, cookies. Oh, don't like cream. <laughs> Evil. <laughs> Tattoos or piercings? Tattoos. Flip-flops or trainers? Trainers. Ketchup uh, or mayo? No, it's red sauce. 
Red sauce. <laughs> oh, are we having that, that debate now? Have you heard that before? Red, red, red sauce, Jeff. Red sauce. Tomato sauce. Red sauce, Jeff. Do you know what I mean when I say red sauce? Do you understand that? Uh, enlighten me. See? In case there's anyone listening. So when doesn't. I say red sauce, what do you think that means? I thought, Have I thought you ketchup. heard ketchup, ketchup being otherwise known as or referred to as red sauce? Have you heard of that? Not really, no. <laughs> that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I think most people in the north would refer well, to it. Well, Taylor's gone quite aggressive, Jerome. What's happened? Who has? <laughs> not, not me. No, 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 no. I maintain. I, mean, I maintain my position on that. There's, there's other sources that are the colour of red that could be mistaken exactly. for, exactly. like sriracha. Sriracha is red. Yes, but most commonly, red sauce would spring to mind would be that of ketchup, the most recognised of all the red sauces you could possibly think of. So you would go, you'd be comfortable enough to go to a kebab shop, say, can I have some salad? I have that. <laughs> to I me, I ain't going to lie, to me, red sauce sounds very bougie. Like, if I haven't heard the term and I went to a restaurant and like, would you like some red sauce on the side? I'd be like, mm, yeah, I wouldn't mind a bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm, to my disappointment, it's just a, a dollop of ketchup. Oh, thank you, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I've said that. I've, I've asked for red sauce in a calf. That's funny because... You know, some for someone that works in hospitality, I have never come across that term before. <laughs> I should know not? this. No, I haven't. Surprisingly, no, no, I work. It, I work like, in. It's like HP sauce and brown sauce. That's I know. Yeah, I know. Thing. I've heard of brown sauce. Yeah, but red sauce. But that's I, the same thing. No, it's I, not. I, I mean, I understand. I understand the logic, but I just I haven't come across that term before. Wow. Well, every day's a school day, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. You do it's not just the kids yeah. learning online right now. It's you as well. It's not a thing, Jay. It's not. Let's move it's on. not a widely known thing, granted, but it is in existence, and I maintain <laughs> that, and I will tell you that every time I'm challenged on it. Well, but to answer the question, red sauce, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Um, God, how far back do you want to go? Like, let's let's. Where were you born, Jerome? I was born in Mother's Hospital, which is in Hackney, in East London. Born and raised. How, how was it growing up in that in that area? Because I don't know about like me growing up. Um, so I'm a '90s baby, but. I used to get told, like, don't go into sort of that area that far from home. Because I'm, I'm from um, Plasto, sort of Stratford, Plasto area. Okay. And delving into that side of East London, like Hackney, Bethnal Green, Stepney, I was always told by my parents, don't go too far. You, know, you can go to your friend's house in Forest Gate or something, but don't dare go near, like, you know. I don't know if it was a taboo area in those days. Um, what was it like for you growing up there? Um, I can see why that would have been a it would have been like a warning to people. I think it was quite <laughs> rough. There was lots, a lot of estates. There's, there was a, but I don't think it was any different to neighbouring um, areas. But it's changed a lot. Um, I don't know if it's for the better. I don't know. But yeah, it's definitely different from my, my days as a child there. Do you have any um, fond childhood memories that you could... I do, mainly mainly from school. Like I had a group of friends that I, I spent a lot of time with, um, about four girls in my group or my entourage, as I, as I used to call them. Um, and yeah, we would just hang, yeah, we used to hang around in Victoria Park. 
which was next door to the um, school we used to go to. So we spent a lot of time there after school. I love Vicky Park. Um, it's such a nice park. It is. It is. So we, we spent a lot of time there as, as kids. But uh, yeah, really fond memories. I, I liked Hackney for what it used to be. And uh, yeah, I have very fond memories of it, of the time. What about um, memories you weren't fond Have you got any, uh, have you got an embarrassing story? Because we do this with pretty much everyone. We need to hear at least one embarrassing story from your childhood. Well, oh, let, let, let's, let's do the one, the one you can remember, maybe like in your late teens or early teens. Oh, there's one that stands out completely that shaped the whole narrative of my school years from that moment onwards. So I, I told a boy in year seven, I think it was, that I thought he was cute, who I sat next to in class. Bless him, he didn't quite know how to handle that. And by lunchtime, it went round the whole school. A um, hundred of kids just like approached me by lunchtime. Did, I heard you, you said this boy was cute. Are you gay? Da, 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 da. And unbeknownst to me, I just, I had, I was quite naive at the time. I'm looking back, I didn't expect the mass interest in what I had said to somebody. And um, it just blew up completely. And uh, oh God, yeah, I um, I don't regret saying it necessarily, but I think I felt bad for him that I put him in a position he wasn't um, sort of prepared for or had wanted. Mm. Um, so yeah, I felt a bit bad in in that regard. But it be myself a bit more and not really um, have to hide that gossip is a bit like chip paper. Um, the next day but it was because it was just so unusual and it was like everything's like magnified at school isn't it anything that's remotely different and um, yeah that was just a really good piece of gossip I guess to um, for people to latch on to what happened just got out of hand it got out of control because it was quite relentless for a long for a good couple of months it kind of was my business became everybody else's business. Oh, and everybody had a opinion something to say about it. Yeah. I can so, imagine in those okay. days, especially. Exactly. This was what, yeah. So this was, I was, yeah. Early 11. 90s, no? This was, yeah. So this was 90, 95. I started secondary school. So 95, 96, around that time, that mm. kind of blew up. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing I'm grateful for is that I had a childhood that was um, not on camera and not documented and we didn't have Facebook and and social media and the internet really wasn't really as big as it as it became um, in later in later years. So thankfully, what happened at school stayed there. So, you know, I never I never um, thankfully I was not, like never bullied as such or um had anyone threatened to beat me up or anything like that uh, I'm grateful for that but yeah it could have been a very different experience in the digital age if that had happened now or it might not have been I think because it's I mean say so... yeah I was gonna say that saying <laughs> what you just said like this generation is a lot more it's a lot more accept, accepted in this sort of era and um you know people yeah, being educated so. about it now with like pride being like a very very big event that you have every year yeah how many siblings have you got then 
Um, Jay? Oh, there's too many to count. So let me think. I always, I always have to think long because there's so many of us because my father's always has his trousers down. Um, there is five sisters and four others. Now, we don't all share the same parents, but um, yeah, I, m they're all half brothers and sisters, but I don't really like that terminology. They're brothers, regardless of no, I know what, what you mean. parentage we have, but um, most of us share the same father. So I'm the, the son from my um, father and my mother's relationship as the only son from that relationship. And um, I used to live with him, um, oh God, when I was about seven or eight or something like that for about a year, uh, he decided to, to take me on. Um, that, was, that was pretty horrendous um, looking back. Um, yeah, I didn't enjoy that. It was, he was quite a strict man actually to live with. And I think I was learning about me being different, which I didn't didn't have a name for or didn't know what it was but I knew something was different about me from a very early age and um, yeah I just felt restrictive I knew that I knew of his opinions about things like that so I knew that if that's what I was if that's what I was then this wouldn't go down very well so it was hard it was hard being myself I think that he had a lot of expectations uh, he wanted his children to live up to he had a set set a sort of guideline as to what he wanted his children to to look like and be like and become and I didn't, really didn't fit into his mold and um, yeah I just wrestled with that for the time I was there and and did after I stopped living with him because that sort of idea didn't change for him um, in fact, I was moving further away from his ideal son that he had wanted. And uh, yeah, that was not part of his his plan. So um, and for a long time, you know, as a child, you want your parents approval. Um, that's that really means a lot to you as a child um, and it can make or break you as a person and impact greatly on your confidence, your value and your self-worth when you have your parents' approval. And if you don't, you just get crushed. And um, yeah, I didn't really get that. I was constantly wanting it. Um, and didn't really get, didn't really get what I wanted. But in later years, I realized he couldn't give me that. But you don't know that as a child, only sort of, you only realize that when you sort of explore that in adulthood and you look back um because I blamed myself I thought that was there was something wrong with me that he didn't like or couldn't connect with um so I blamed myself for a lot of the time earlier in my life for the way things turned out but um thankfully I looked at it from a different angle and realized it was nothing to do with me and whatever I turned out to be shouldn't have been a barrier for him to sort of curtail his his love turned out to be conditional when it should be quite the opposite as for parents but you know we've come uh, through that now it's like I he's not it's not he's not an active part in my life but that's okay I've, I've reconciled the, the father I wanted or had dreamed about is not somebody that I'm going to get and that's okay because you have to learn to let that go because I can't control 
what I what I want somebody to be if they don't have that capacity to be that reconciling that in my head I think was was a long process to kind of you know there's just no relationship there but now it's fine now I mean remarkably a couple of years ago my sister's 40th I knew he was going to be there we're quite estranged I don't really see him unless it's a family gathering and how long, how long before that that event in last year was was it last year the 40th or the year before? uh this was two years ago so oh now three now this 2018 she turned 40 <laughs> oh it was it was it was amazing the uh, that was one of the best birthday parties I've been to it was a fantastic night I actually met my other sister for the very first time as well Whoa. that was another um oh, wow. situation there I like I knew I know about I knew about her like we had like contacted each other on some level over the years but to physically meet was the first time that that on that night as well it was just so mad but he approached me I knew he would be there so I was by this point I had like I was cool with him being in my life or not being in my life I don't need him I'm an adult now I can I can live with or without him so it was cool I think age and time has changed him somewhat I think he has I don't, not necessarily ex- maybe accepted what I am, but he's accepted that that isn't going to change and that is who I am. But it kind of re, I rewrote my ending with my father because before then um, it was very acrimonious and I had lots of hurt and pain and anger around him. And then I just, over time, just learned to process that because it was hurting me more than it was ever going to hurt him. I felt emancipated from him and I mean, I was able to be free of my need for him. You know, we're not gonna go for a drink in in the pub like fathers and sons may do. We're not gonna go to a football match or anything like that. I think that's that's unlikely, but um, that's okay also. That's nice, that's a good, I'm glad you feel, because I was, I, I wanted to add to that. You know, we are just creatures of habit and whatever they tell us to do, they've been instructed to do. It's, we generally just do what we learn. So whatever our parents done, we tend to do, unless we know it's wrong. Mm-hmm. That circle. I didn't have a particularly good upbringing. I don't really want to pass that on to my children. I want to become better and do better. But it's that isn't that that level of clarification or realization is not afforded to everybody. So without people knowing, they repeat the same pattern of behavior. Um, yeah, so it's a very, uh, it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one. The relationship with your dad and your your family, extended family, do you, do you think that's what's led you into counselling? As, as I a- think so. I think a lot of that has, I mean, I spoke a lot about my father, but my mother has had her troubles as well. She's passed away now, but um, I started the counselling course the same year she died and um I sort of dismissed it initially um you know my focus was on my mother and I knew she was she was dying and I thought well this I've got more life in me than she does right now let's not deal with that it's all about her and concentrating on my energies on on that so I sort of thanked them for the comment but sort of parked it and didn't do anything with it and then after she died something just came to me and it's like obviously the the mourning and the grief sort of set in but also how cut short her life was and how many dreams she once had that she started on the road to, to becoming and then various events took her off track 
and she didn't manage to get back there. I didn't want that for myself. So I had nothing to lose. I thought, let me go and find a course in counselling. And that September of the same year, I enrolled in a 10 week introductory course to counselling. My, my mother had a lot of mental health issues and I'm a big advocate in, in that area of work. And she, there's lots of sort of medication for, for what she was going through, but there was no offer or um, sort of the idea of counselling was not something that was mentioned, encouraged or supported at all. And particularly in my um, culture, Afro-Caribbean culture, counselling or to seek professional help in any capacity is heavily frowned upon. It's not given the support or encouragement um, or sort of positivity that it should really do. It's quite a taboo thing to do. Um, the idea is that you really must be bad if you can't handle your own shit, basically. It's like, well, just deal with it. And that's kind of the mentality behind it. And I think that closes a lot of doors for people who want help but feel shame in being able to ask for it and uh, that was for me in wanting to become somebody that somebody could go to because who knows what would have happened with talking therapies can be just as effective as as medical intervention and I, I know there's particularly my as I said in my culture um, it's 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 heavily frowned upon there's pockets of it that is getting better um, I'm part of um, lots of um, groups and movements that are trying to promote and um, support um, black mental health, particularly. Black African and Asian Therapy Network. Yes. So, yes, I'm a member of that. I'm also, um, I've just I've got a contract for um, a charity that started last year called Black Minds Matter. I've joined their directory. BLM movement has impacted on that as well last year so when I qualified and started practicing in the summer my supervisor and I thought well this is a really good time for me to be qualified and for me to be able to support a wide sector of people who are in a situation um, that's very difficult for them. It's really emphasised how difficult it has been as a race historically and continually and how impactful that is on black mental health or how difficult it is for people to ask for those help in those spaces and that's that's still a problem kids today would still like 15 16 year olds would still struggle black kids will still struggle with that now you say struggle is it because of the family stick like well not i think so yeah um, i think 20 sadly 20 years from when I was last at school, that hasn't really moved. In my experience, I might be wrong. I'm speaking personally from my own experience and vantage point here. I don't think it's moved as far as I would have hoped it had done. I think the stigma is still strong. I think the support could be better for it. I have seen visible improvements because there's been more promotional and marketing around black mental health in recent years. And I want to now be part of that as well. But I think culturally there are still there are still hurdles. There's three things I say to people and particularly for people who come to counselling that stops them from coming to counselling before they feel they can. One of them things is guilt. 
the second is judgment in no particular order and the third is um shame and those three any one of those things is enough to kind of prevent you from doing something but if there's, there's a combination of any of those things it can simply be too paralyzing to to ask for help and so people don't and then you'll come to me in like 20 30 years with a life that is not the one that you led because you weren't able to seek help earlier and my like my worry is that people will end up in situations or make decisions they think are good for themselves but are not or they listen to other people's voices more than their own because they don't trust themselves better or they find themselves in situations they think they can't get out of. You add the pandemic on top of that, how isolating and invisible some people might be, how disconnected some people may be and how that's going to exacerbate any existing feelings or conditions people have. So therapy in itself is going to be a massive part of people's lives in the months and years to come I, I believe so so I'm, I'm glad I'm in this moment where I'm able to provide that it's funny you should say that because my sister she um I think she went to see a doctor regarding diabetes and it was more about prescribing medicine uh even though my sister was saying how do I prevent it we can't answer that for you so they're not there <laughs> I'm not talking about all practitioners but yeah, like you said, I think med- medications are the very, it's the easy way. Like there are other alternatives too. There are, yeah. Um, I think there's more qualitative data in medical intervention because it can give you quick results in a short amount of time and there's data to prove that. Whereas talking therapies can span months, years even, yeah. with not necessarily a known outcome for the person which is why it's often not favored yeah exactly no i can uh, i can see why they put it off but i think like you said mike because my mother-in-law she's having problems with her health saying that they, they've actually recommended to change her her diet and her lifestyle my my missus she's uh, stepped in to try and really help her diet to see if it's made the change and you, you'd think that's something that yeah most practitioners would encourage but like you said there's always because of the data you know the pa- a lot of the patients would tend to just go for the medication as opposed to change of lifestyle it's money isn't it like they it they is it is but in the long run it's it's not it's not as effective because medication can still when someone has depression um you know medication going on antidepressants is a big thing there's loads of side effects definitely as, a, as opposed to you know trying to change your lifestyle but then, like you said, it's it's time, it's money, it's other factors like the people around you that could be the reason why you've got depression, you know, things like mm-hmm. that. So it's a very hard thing to um, discuss, but at least we're discussing it. And I 100%, I've seen it in my in my own family, you know, friends who I have who are like of Caribbean descent. I've seen it. They're just very, mm-hmm. that generation, um, not just Caribbeans, like Asians, it's very... That's a, another one, yeah. They're quite similar um, in terms of... Full stop, they're just like, deal with your shit. And mm. it's not, that's not the way it should be, in, especially yeah. in these days. And also, like, it's about keeping up appearances. I think, oh, no, you can't, you can't be this way because what will everyone else think of us, or the other families, the neighbours? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Really... That's what I'm talking about, the shame. 
there's a lot of shaming in want in in having in feeling something not quite right about how you feel if you're um, being given those types of responses it's not going to make you want to get the help that you think you need it's what it's going to do it's going to silence you silence is one of the biggest killers it's just not going to make you want to talk or you're going to want to go to a doctor because you go to the doctor to get to, to to fix you right so they think you know I'll pop a pill and everything's going to be okay but what it's what it's what it's doing it's it's numbing the feelings so you yeah. don't feel them it's not actually dealing with the problem and obviously there's like we said there's an agenda there and there's money to be made from medicine which they need to promote and prescribe to for for whatever reason but it's not enough in itself to fix anything it's not a problem solver necessarily i think talking processing understanding what you're doing because generally speaking when so for example this happens a lot and i use this example quite quite a lot you go to somebody oh how are you and you go yeah yeah i'm fine um yeah you're good yeah yeah i'm good and that's it that's all you that's all you ask that's all they say back to you somebody was to actually tell you what they actually was going through most people are like oh fuck i wish i hadn't have asked the question now i think as men like all three of us i'm sure we've jeff we're guilty of it i've known you all my life i've known you all your life and as men i think like you said it's just very small chit chat men to men you need to have the bravado and the strength and like, yeah, I can put my shit down. And... There is definitely that. Yeah, societal, there's a societal standard and a narrative in terms of conduct and behaviour for male and females. The women are promoted as like caregivers, dom domestic people, people who are in touch with their emotions because they talk more and the men are like designed to like, it's all very physical with men. It's about building and sport or you know like like uh, we're machines that don't yeah exactly feelings of our own yeah mm. that's, yeah you so that you are able to produce and provide for your for your family and there is less of the emotional intelligence promotion given to men as there are with with women there's this idea that men can't cry and all this these these things that uh, have long been established in the consciousness that prevent um men from talking we also know that um the suicide rate for males within our age group is exponentially high for a lot of those reasons suicide rate has actually gone up since like world war Two, and it's it's just shocking because you know we're not in a war right now i know we're in a pandemic but we're not in a world war but even just... before that, even even before that, when you think about the introduction to, to the digital age, so you are now being bombarded, not just from television or magazines where you use. Now you've got it every time you pick up your phone. There is a narrative that you're looking at that you're being exposed to. There's an algorithm that is telling you an ideal, perfect filtered way to live your life so all these pictures are curated and are supposed to be demonstrating a way of living that's supposed to equate to success to happiness and to longevity and that is what these people are trying to prescribe and if you don't look like that or feel that you are part of that way of living 
that that makes you feel like shit. There is a there is a strong link now that they're making between Facebook or other social media apps as well included and mental health and the, the, your emotional well-being. There's all these very heavily filtered curated pictures of people who are on holiday or who have sculpted bodies and you don't see them having their their no makeup day you don't see them without filter you don't see when they're screaming at their partners or their children or that they feel down that they're not they're not posting that part of their life so if you're constantly getting this sunny side picture it it and you're constantly reading that on your feed on the way to work it's going to start impacting on how you're living your life and then how comparable you are to this perceived notion of it all looking all fantastic. That's the sad part and the dangerous part for me of the digital age, how much we subscribe and give over ourselves to the people that we follow and how if you are of a person of a certain level of esteem and um, confidence, you can see that for what it is. For it, like, I know these pictures are not real most of the time. I know they're filtered. I know that's only a snapshot of what somebody's presenting to me. So I know I, I put that into context. Other people who are not quite so, who don't have those higher levels, start to pit themselves against these people, especially impressionable people who like these people and follow them because they like them for whatever reason. And then they, their, their lives are compared to these people and that can be very damaging and how, like I say, how much of yourself you give over to, to, to a, a stranger essentially, who then dictate your worth to you where it's not coming from within, it's, ex it's what in counselling terms, it's like an external locus of evaluation. So you're, you are judged based by how other people see you, not unless about what you think of yourself. And there's no autonomy there. It's like, well, how many likes do I need to make me feel popular, to make me feel worthy? If I only got 10 likes today, that means I'm less liked today than I was before. And there's a lot of that going on which again impacts on your emotional well-being and your sense of self as well you can lose yourself quite easily in in the digital world as well social media is kind of new i guess in our age we was on like you know myspace facebook and you know those, those yeah were... that was the early part stages of it wasn't it yeah, and even then, I remember watching Newsround back in the day when I was in, like, year eight, nine. And so they were saying how, do you know, like, Tammy Magazine, 17, all the girls mm. like, mm. were always in WH Smith's on the same eye line as a 10-year-old or even younger. Like, it was so... Those were the 90s and the early noughties. I think that that's... It was more subliminal, I'd say. But even now, I think it's so overtly sold to us, like... Jeff, as you have three young children, how do you feel about social media and, you know, use of smartphones and tablets with children? Because I, I, for one... I mean, like, living in a digital age in itself, I mean, you know, whatever happened to just reading books and... Like, I'm bringing it very down to basic, but, like, if you think about, like, they're exposed to technology, they're exposed to screens all the time. And like you said, Jerome, this can have a massive impact. I mean, my kids, they're the youngest is only three and is always asking to watch YouTube. 
and and like, there are some things that you have to watch out for on YouTube because not every single you know thing they watch you know there could be something dangerous that they should be they could be watching um that could expose them to sort of subliminal violence or sexuality that they don't need to be exposed to so things like that that i mean my kids are still young so they wouldn't relate to what you know the things that people are facing nowadays which is like like you said things like tiktok and instagram that are sort of paying a picture for what it is like to live a perfect life for these teens and what they need to be when you know in, in terms of their ambitions so yeah i i understand what you're saying and i yeah totally agree with like it does definitely have a massive impact on their their mental health and you know my own family uh, the children like they're just focused fully on like youtube like you said they know what to go on <laughs> straight away and it's not only like you said the sex and the violence it's also selling toys and everything like you know look at play-doh squidgies or whatever they're called but it's also the peer, the pressure that the parents get now because everyone else has got this and they they want it and i know if we had that as well when we've grown up like trainers and you know wearing branding and all that but i think it's just it's it's been magnified ridiculously this is, those, those are like materialistic this is like a totally new like they were asking for the, the latest gadgets which they which will give them access to social media mm. so it's like literally everywhere it's very normalized now it's a very you like there's Pete there's kids who are like seven and eight who have the same phones that we do now and I find that quite I find it astonishing it's I find that astonishing that parents are buying children iPhones at eight years old I don't understand that you know um I don't necessarily judge them for that it's just something I don't I don't understand but I think you know with most things like I said back back to sort of we do our best with our children and um, I think a a lot of that comes down to um, good grounding from from the primary caregivers in in the home environment if it's a happy healthy loved environment I think that counts that still counts for a lot and the balance and um, between sort of children's worth and value and direction and support um, and getting the sense of themselves without and without giving themselves over to social media to sort of explore that is counts for a lot. And another reason I, I think the counselling should be made mandatory in, in schools at age appropriate levels. I think if we had, if kids had a capacity to really learn about themselves and discover um, themselves in in a way that helps them process and emotionally regulate their feelings in a way that um, enables them to manage those things better I think they would have a better sense of themselves so they wouldn't there's there may be less likelihood of people falling into crowds that or uh, that they are are not good for them or or giving into peer pressure or um, not having um, levels of self-esteem issues potentially they they might be less likely for that sort of thing to happen I mean those things are like will always happen because that's part of the transitioning into sort of childhood to adulthood through your school years and obviously your body is changing and there's lots of you know it's a very difficult time for for children so that's always going to be a part of it 
but that doesn't mean that kids still can't have a sense of who they are at some level whilst they're still trying to discover that you know what I mean there's like there's 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 some sort of directional purpose not like in terms of career or job prospects but like identity because it's all about identity isn't it we just we go to school and we we learn our lessons but we're trying to find out who we are as people and there's like it's basically like I think I is it one or two things I related down just like who who I am in relation to myself who I am in relation to others and who I am in relation to the world as a, as in a wider context it's it's quite simplistic but I break it down like that to make it sort of easier to sort of explain because that's a large largely what what we do at school and what we do beyond that as well and those are not small subjects to cover by any means. Finding out and discovering who you are is an ongoing thing anyway. So that's never, that never changes. You don't sort of, I don't personally believe you reach the top of the mountain of that. It's like, yeah, I know everything there is to know about me. You can have a very solid base of which you, you know yourself, but there's always, as we're always ever changing. So that, that doesn't, that doesn't stop. I was, I was literally about to ask you if you can give us uh, our listeners and us some words of wisdom, and you really beat me to it. Um, oh, <laughs> You've literally opted it to, down to a did team. Did I say it before I even knew I was saying? <laughs> no, that was really. Do you know that he's was... he's actually Jerome. You've actually covered pretty much all of what we were going to ask you. And the only thing, that's... the only thing I wanted to put in there was like because obviously on in the topic of you know supporting young and you know young people but also in this day and age, like everyone that you're, all of the kind of patients that you're getting, what, what is the age groups that you, you do support? Uh, uh, do you go into schools as well? Or is this like a private? I would love to. Concept? So I, in my placement work, whilst I was qualifying, I worked with a um, charity called The Mix. So it's a young person's charity. So I worked with kids between um kids and young young people so age 13 to 25 and then I had another placement where I worked with with adults so primarily in my own private practice I work with individual adults um so 18 and over usually um I don't work with many children anymore but when I did do I really I really enjoyed it I think that's the sector of society that are still moldable very impressionable and um have a lot there's a lot of anxiety depression and confusion it's a very noisy messy um busy world not just physically but like uh like in terms of sound in terms of vision and that can be quite difficult to navigate your way through life in this world because there's so many messages coming at you. So you've got them like obviously through social media, you've got them on television, you've got them in films, you've got them in magazines, you've got other people telling you. It's very difficult to find your own voice and what you are all about rather than somebody's expectation of what they think you should be. And that is, that's still a problem. And that will be a recur, that's like a constant recurring theme in, in childhood. Yeah. 
um, that will always happen. Um, but I just, um, it, it's, I think with the advancement of technology, I think there is a bombardment which can derail people more so than, than in, our, in our generation, for example, when we are at school. I think there's an overload. It's too much information to process. There's, really. there's, there's very much. And then it's hard to know where to get your information from. And if that's, if that's safe, if that content is safe, if that content is useful, if that's progressive, um yeah it's 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 a minefield it can be it can be a very very scary place even like pre-covid like we just take that out just to exist in this world with what's on offer um it can be very very hard to, to navigate um and uh that's and if you have no support when you feel like that that can that can impact you in a way that may lead you to seek help that's why I do what I do and I'm very fortunate that I still able I'm still able to work um, that we have online platforms so I'm grateful for the technology in my job because I'm still able to do it so I don't see people face to face but we have for example zoom if this had happened 15 20 years ago I think we would have struggled in ways unimaginable than than um without those things so i'm grateful for the technology that affords us to still be able to connect with people on some level and i'm able to still reach out to people and i can do that um all over the country um and not just limited to london when i was doing it face to face so i've you know it's 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 nationwide which is great and i've got telephone options i can do web chats so i can reach out to as many people as i can when they when they reach out and uh, I, I think that's a great position to have me be in um yeah so I'm, I'm here for it and and I'm you know ready to support when people feel their time is right to kind of seek help and support amazing I think um I'd like to think so so yes in the post-covid world that this crazy world we're living in at the moment um where would you be remaining online or where, where do you see your com- your business uh, i think i think for uh, most people uh for most industries a fraction of it will remain remote for the foreseeable because we've now acclimatized to working that way so for now I'm going to remain online and, and then sort of judge that the suitability of returning to face-to-face at some point. I do want to do that because face-to-face work is a different dynamic that you can't get through um, online working. It's the, it's the best of the three that I offer. So I will want to return to it. So th- this part of the show, we talk about your London. So... Where's okay. your favourite place to relax? I think this would be a really good one considering you're a counsellor and this is the kind of thing you want your patients to have is have their, you know, their time, you know, regroup themselves and reflect. So where do you have any locations, you know, any, any locations you recommend people to, to go visit? Um, do you know what? I think nature has a big part to play on your on how you feel about 
and on the body and your mental well-being so like I walk a lot like getting outdoors nature being in nature is is can has its own therapeutic benefits I think nothing can beat the outdoors in terms of um fresh air and and being around greenery and peace and tranquility and stuff like that so any sort of parks Richmond Park is quite nice I haven't been there for quite a while but that's like a really nice area to go or a nice yeah a nice park um but yeah particularly for me I think outdoor walking and music is like two things for me that I know work well for me when I want to get some when I want to step out of this world that's definitely what I'd like to do your favourite place or any place you recommend in London where you, you can go for a good chow down, like somewhere to eat? A good chow down? You mm. really want, that's, I don't, I went somewhere different with that question when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, how do I answer? I need to choose my words carefully around you, Jerome. <laughs> no, I, I don't think you should do anything different, Jess, but I think you should remain as you are. Um... I would go to a Krispy Kreme um, counter. That that works for me. Where did you say good? I, I don't know about to eat because that can vary depending on people's tastes. But I would say a good a good pub would be a a place a good place to go. I miss going to the pub. Yeah, actually. I, I agree. Uh, so a I would local. I would suggest yeah somewhere exactly. I would answer that question like that. And your favourite? So, yeah, a pub. What's mm? your favourite? I don't spoons because it's cheap. Cheap and cheerful. Yes, but they're generally cheap anyway. So, um, but yes, definitely. So, where's your favourite place in London? Go like your favourite bar or club? Oh gosh! So, oh, when I used to go out back in the day, do you remember those days? Um, <laughs> I used to um, frequent Soho a lot. So, um, I went out. Was to... Heaven one of them? Heaven was, heaven, I haven't been for a while, but I do love it when I go. And I haven't been for a while simply because it's become so popular. The queues yeah, are yeah. tremendously long. Okay. No, but all in all, it's actually a very cool place. It's, most people are chilled. They're like, they're just there to have a good time. And it's, and it's because there's so many different rooms, it's like, and it's not like some clubs you feel a bit uh, claustrophobic in there because you can't move because it's so small. But yeah, because you've got lots of places to move around and you've got obviously, if there's an act performing on the night you're there, it's cool. So awesome. yeah, I do like that place. But anywhere in Soho, I, I quite enjoy spending time in. Um, where is your favourite place for retail therapy? Amazon. <laughs> 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 Uh, and prior to that, it was Westfield when we were able to shop. I so, yeah, I do, I do like when they built that. I used to go down to Oxford Street when I before Westfield. That was like most people the place to go down to. So I spent many a time on a weekend on a Saturday going up and down Oxford Street, buying shopping and, and, and getting bits and pieces. But now since um, Westfield was built... I don't need to travel quite as far. So Which one do you prefer? I, could, I, I go to Stratford because Stratford's closer, but Shepherd's Bush is a bit more bougie. So, you, for example, there's no Greg's there and there's no Primark in Shepherd's Bush, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> they don't, they, and there's another floor where they have like brand, um, 
brand names, exclusive brands on the on one of the top floors, and all the like common shops that the East London one has is omitted from that one. Um, <laughs> but nevertheless, yeah, Stratford Stratford is is the one I would go to, um, and I could do that all day. I love, I do like like shopping. I do enjoy it. Like, I've done it for like a whole day. If I'm going out shopping, then it's not for a couple of hours. It's all day. Have you been to the new Krispy Kremes factory they've got? Where's that? In Stratford? Yeah, they can't... Because I know they had a stand. They had a stand in the yeah, middle of got, the aisle. They've still got the stand, um, but they've actually opened like a exposed factory where you can see how they make the donuts. Cool. I'll check that out. If you had a, a relative visit, what landmark in London would you take them to? Like you're the quintessential London place that you say, this is my London. Oh, God, I don't even think of London like that. I would probably take them to the theatre, actually. Um, I think that would Hamilton, be a unique Hamilton? experience. Hamilton? <laughs> no, because that's like two and a half hours long. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, I think they, I don't think they'd be able to handle that. But, yeah, I'd probably take them to see a musical. <laughs> but not Hamilton. You know yeah. what's a really good Mary, musical? Probably though, Mary um, Poppins. Mary Poppins. What yeah. about um, Book of Mormons? That's a really good one. Oh, that is a very good show. It depends on my, my relative sensibility. If I think they could handle something like that, if then they're I'll not religious. Yeah, if they're not religious, let them see that. Yeah, that's a very good show. I do. Have you seen it, Mike? Yeah. No, I, I, it's on my list. I do want to. You do... would enjoy that, mate. That's you'd love it. It's, it's the it's yeah. the creators of South Park. Yeah, wrote, yeah. Is, yeah. it is very funny. Very, you it's would hilarious. love that. The last one was like, where would you go for a special occasion? But like, you'll probably go to the Lego shop in Westfield, I guess, or Pandora. That's a very special occasion. You're absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> That's my baby. Jerome, are you a, a Lego collector? Oh, I'm. I'm a Lego junkie. I would do you say. go for like the? Do you go for like architecture, or do you go for like one of the? So ones? I go for the Star Wars themed sets. Ah, so sick. Where I started. It's a very expensive habit. It's not cheap. It's, it's not, not cheap at all. But um, the sets are beautiful. They're, some of them are a bit overpriced, but it's because it's some of the, like it's Disney and it's Star Wars, so the market yeah, lim- is limited edition. Very well. expensive. So, but it's um, it's one of my um, favorite hobbies to do. That's, that became my hobby during lockdown because, um, well, the kids. I just wanted to get kids something to keep them entertained. Because mm. that's when they didn't even have school. School was just fully closed. Nothing, no online learning. Things How old are they? My oldest is six. Middle child is five. And my youngest is three. Cool. You didn't muck about, Jeff. There was no um, gaps, man. Cool, no. I've been a busy, I've been a busy man. Life. She's yeah. been constantly pregnant for like four years. Bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. God. Yeah, don't 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 in, don't indulge them anymore though. It's expensive, mate, because you just won't have the wallet for it. Just don't do it. Oh, kids or Lego? Which one are you talking about? <laughs> oh, that's that's true. Yeah, you got a fair point. He's already done that by adding three. His wallet's <laughs> fucked anyway. Yeah, that's true. Why yeah. do you think I'm doing this podcast? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get them the Lego. It can't be any less um expensive than three children to cater for. Yeah, I remember when <laughs> Jeff had um well his first son, my godson, and um you you got really into Nerf guns, didn't you? And you used Yeah, I actually went on like a 
I went on a weird one. I was just addicted to Nerf guns at one point. I was just like, yeah, I really want my firstborn to like really get into Nerf guns. And I started collecting a few. And now I don't even play with them. <laughs> They've just been stored uh, under our bed. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the the other son, the younger one, to grow up a little bit. Um, see if he's interested in using them. Does the six-year-old not like doing it? Uh, not really. He doesn't really. He's not that fussed about. It. I think he just doesn't like the fact that it hurts him, and I think he's got a really shitty aim. So <laughs> half the time he's always he's always missing his sister and brother. So he's like, ah, oh, never mind. And if oh, fair enough. his youngest doesn't like the, he'll just have another child until one does. I don't think my like partner it. can. She wouldn't hand. She couldn't hand another one. Just buy one. Just buy one, like Madonna did. <laughs> by, by the time I'm ready to have children, I swear to God, I'll be able to buy one from Primark. It will be that advanced. I'll be able to buy one from Primark. I promise you. And the first like hundred babies bought there get a free pram. That we do some kind of deal like that. I promise you. I'll be I'll able to buy one child from Primark. <laughs> Basically, yeah. This um, has been like the most insightful um, podcast. I think. For those listeners out there, I hope you've um, taken a lot from what we spoke about today. Um, and anything, anything you want to plug, Jerome? Anything you've got going on, or where we can find you, where they can contact you? Yes. So uh, my website is www.davisjohnsoncounseling. D a b i s j o h n s o n counseling.co.uk. Have a web. I have a website there. Have a look a little bio about me and what I do and um, where you can reach me if um, anybody wants to get support for whatever they are struggling with. Amazing. And yeah, if, if you've enjoyed our podcast, give us a like, give us a thumbs up, share your comments, let us know. And yeah, definitely get in reach with Jerome if you are going through tough times. So yeah, let, let's uh, wrap it up. Jerome, just want to say thank you. You've been brilliant. Until next time. Until next time, guys. And each other. Thank you very much. We need. We actually need a catchphrase for for the end, Mike. I don't know. Is that cheesy? Um, and it's by from me. It's by from him. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a game show. This is not strike it lucky. It's like no, do that one. No, you, no, no, you go. You you go first. <laughs> Jay, thank you so much for spending time with us You're today. You're welcome. Thank uh, you for having me on your see. show. No worries, and we'll we'll definitely catch up with you some point in the future.